Evening, everybody. You are the peculiar people tonight. You know that, don't you? What are you doing out here on a Thursday night? Where y'all going tonight? Oh, we're going to church. You know, your neighbor said, did, did something happen? No, we're just getting, we're just getting together. I know. We're just getting together. Well, is there something wrong? No, we're just going to hang out around the Word for a little bit. Uh, I'm trying to keep this real compact tonight. This is... um. When we started traveling, uh, ministering 20 years ago, this is what this is what launched it. We were thinking on about family. The family was the first thing God made. Adam and Eve was the first thing He lost. Now I'm gonna I, I get to where I quote so much stuff. I want to read it verbatim, so I'm gonna go to Genesis 2 real quick and just show you something. Uh, everything was perfect because you know I have parents all the time well, what did we do so wrong and what happened to our kids and what's going on so you don't have to do anything wrong everybody's born with a sin nature everybody's bent towards stupid you know and so that's why you need to get born that's, that's why you need to get born again you know you need to come to know Jesus get in the word of God and so I read last night that we're on an alien planet you know Satan's the temporary god of this planet Second Corinthians 4 4 and John 10 10 he kills steals and destroys and here we are trying to you know earn a living pay our bills have a family, he said, but God promised in the middle of all that he'd help us, that he'd never leave us nor forsake us, that we would be more than conquerors and overcomers, and that eventually somebody's going to ask us about the hope that's in us. They're going to see that we go through the same hell they go through, but for some reason we always manage to come out on the other side. Like, boy, you sure got lucky. No, there's no such thing as luck. We just God was just good and we came out on the other side. God works all things out to our good. Again, I said last night, tests and trials come to everybody. You go back to the first family, everything was great. I mean, the economy was great, weather was great, clothes were cheap, food was free. Couldn't get much better than that. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and jump down to chapter 3, just for the sake of time, because I want to read several things here tonight. Uh, talks about the devil being in the Garden of Eden. Uh, God told him, everything's good, you can have anything you want, just one tree I don't want you to touch. And so, uh, God says, you do that, you know, your eyes will be open, evil, and so... Of course, it's the one thing they did. The one thing they were told not to do, you tell a child not to do something, that's the first thing he's going to do. That's why there are speed limit signs every three miles on the interstate in the United States of America. It's not because we went stupid and forgot what they said. It's because <laughs> we got a sin nature. Like, bless God, nobody's going to tell me how fast to drive. I'll drive as fast as I want to drive. I'll get a radar detector, and I'll drive as fast as I want to drive. Well, that's, that's that sin nature. That's that sin nature that's never body. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to be told what to do. And so uh, that's why Romans 13 says, if you judge yourself, you won't have to be judged. You do what's right. If you do what's right, nobody will be telling you what to do. You're, you're doing what's right. So anyhow, I'm going to jump in here, uh, verse 8. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. Now, they've already sinned. They've already gone off to make him some clothes and hide out. So they hid from the Lord. First time ever. They hid from the Lord, God among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? Now God knows where they are. He's trying to get them to respond. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave you the fruit. Now, I'm just going to stop reading paraphrase. But here, I'll just let you know I'm getting this right out of the Word of God. From the very beginning, it's always somebody else's fault. What's your problem? Well, it's their fault. Government's fault, president's fault, Congress' fault, mom's fault, dad's fault, teacher's fault, coach's fault, brother's fault, sister's fault. And what happens, as long as you won't take responsibility for yourself, you can't get the sin off of you. 
Sin's got death attached to it. It's going to kill you in some form or fashion. The only way you can get sin out is through your mouth. Either repent or forgive. You've got to get it off of you. And so God comes down to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? I said, well, I, I was hiding. Why? Well, you know, and God said, did you eat that fruit I told you not to eat? And Adam's thinking a minute. He, it took, I think it probably took him a few seconds. And I thought, well, you know, it was the woman you gave me. Now, God, you know, when it was just me and you, it was paradise. I mean, it was perfect. I mean, everything was great. And ever since you brought her into my life, my life's been going downhill. I'm paraphrasing from the message translation, but it's in there. God comes down to the woman. Okay, what's your story, woman? And she's thinking, well, you know, snake's fault, snake's fault. Told you like that, snake, snake's fault. And both Adam and Eve would not take responsibility. They blamed somebody else. And I'm gonna, if you don't hear another thing tonight, the sooner you take responsibility for your life, the sooner God will bless you. Because I'm telling you something, sin's got death attached to it, and you can't have it on you. God, God loves the sinner. He hates the sin. Sin's been judged, not the sinner. God sent his son to get the dog beat out of him to save the sinner. It's the sin that's got death attached to it. And so all of a sudden you go back to family. Now I realize something. That sin nature was in my child the moment they came out of their mother's womb. Now I believe in the age of accountability that, you know, God didn't really hold you accountable until you know. Uh, Paul wrote in Romans 8, when the, when the law came, sin revived and I died. It's like, what? You're not dead. You wrote it. No, what he meant was there was a day I didn't know I was a sinner. I didn't know. That's why God gave the law. You're a sinner, but you don't know you're a sinner. You need my son, but you don't know you need my son. Thus, the old covenant. The reason we have the Ten Commandments and laws, God was trying to show us we can't keep them. That's why he gave them. No human outside of Jesus ever kept the Ten Commandments. No human ever kept them. And God knew we couldn't keep them. The reason he gave them to us is to show us we can't keep them. We're a sinner, but we don't know we're a sinner. So the no lying, no cheating, no sin. So what you, what's all the laws for? You can't keep them. You're a doofus. <laughs> You're going to need my son, but you don't know you need my son. So I'm going to give you the law and let you hang with it for a while. I'm going to let you cut bulls' throats and goats' throats and turtle doves. This blood's going to run out of that temple. I mean, day and night. I mean, it's going to run. Why? Because you're a sinner, but you don't know you're a sinner. So I'm going to give you just some simple laws to keep, and you're not going to be able to keep a one of them. You can't go a week with having to drag another bull back down to the temple and, and cut its throat again. So what's the deal? You don't know who you are. All of a sudden, Jesus comes along, and the veil was rent in the temple. Remember when Jesus went to the cross? Like, what is it? Well, that thing's been taken care of. Now we have two commandments. Love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbors we love ourselves. So that took care of all the law. Now the law is good. The law is real good. It just let us know we couldn't keep it. We needed Jesus. So all of a sudden people come along and everybody brags. People are always bragging. I mean, I did it when I was a kid. You want to dress weird? You know, and I, I lived when Elvis was alive, you know. So we're going to dress like Elvis and roll cigarettes up in our sleeves and bear grease on our hair and... We're going to cut the mufflers off our, our car so you can hear us coming. That was before you could buy a cherry bomb muffler. We just cut the muffler off. <laughs> Peel our tire out of every red light, you know. <laughs> and what we're doing is we're trying to, please look at me. I don't know who I am. People who don't know who they are are bragging all the time. They're trying to out-shoot, out-hit, out-drive, out out-de-why, because you don't know who you are. You're having to make up with it with your flesh. But once you find out who you are in him, in whom in Christ, the Bible says, Mark then of a perfect man, and that man is peace. Once you realize who you are, you don't have to outdo anybody. You accept in the beloved. God Almighty who created the universe loves me just like I am, warts and all. I am accepted in the beloved. Until you get to that point, you're going to have trouble. That's why 
You know, the Bible has all these scriptures on teaching and training children. When? As soon as they're weaned from their mother's breast. When you start teaching them, as soon as they're weaned. What am I going to teach them? Line upon line, precept on precept, here a little, there a little. You're going to teach them the Word of God so they know really who they are. Why do I need to do that? Because the devil's going to start lying to your children the moment they leave their mother's womb. You're dumb. You're stupid. You can't walk and chew gum. You can't diagram a sentence. You have no friends. You can't get a date. Nobody's going to put you on the ball team. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. He's going to show up early in our children's lives to tell them how stupid they are. That's why we're commanded to teach them as soon as they're weaned who they are so that won't mess with them. Because people who don't know who they are, prisons are full of people who don't know who they are. I'll kill you, I'll steal from you, I'll beat you up. Why? You don't know who you are. What it was, you just, you just pure hate and all, you don't know who you are. You're trying to outdo every other human. I've never, hardly ever been in a conversation, even on church staffs, worked for three great churches, even on born-again spirit-filled ministers. We get in a board meeting, and all of a sudden, it's who can outdo the other person. Well, I'm telling you what my department's doing. I'll tell you right now, our department's doing, God's doing the move, and this is happening. This is happening. If you think that's something, you don't know what my department's doing. My department's doing this. And they're all trying to out-brag one another. Now, I, I, I raised dogs, you know, years ago. We raised hunt, hunting dogs and basset houses. And when you do that, I live way out in the country, so there's stray dogs that would come up in the yard, and it was odd to see how dogs try to out-pee one another. <laughs> because, you know, a dog marks his territory by hiking his leg. So, you know, a dog come up in the morning. I got, I got four. I stopped breeding all of them. I just had four that stayed in our property, and uh, they step on We got a big old Cracker Barrel porch, and they sit on my porch, and they get up early in the morning, and they go hike their leg on everything, the back tire of the Suburban, the corner of the house, the rose bushes, just hike their leg here, hike their leg. What they're doing, they're marking their territory. All animals do that. But all of a sudden, a stray dog come in the neighborhood, he'd come up in my yard, and he'd hike his leg everywhere my dogs would hike their leg. They're trying to outwee one another. And humans are no different. They're all trying to outwee one another. I, my urine's stronger than your urine. My strong, you know, just make a song out of it. And people who leave home, not born again in spirit, for knowing who they are in Christ, are going to be a pain everywhere they go. They're going to bring division. They're going to bring strife. They're going to bring turmoil. Why? You don't know who you are, do you? You're going to have to out-lie, out-talk, out-brag everybody else. You're going to have to do it to your wife. You'll do it to your neighbors. You'll do it to the fellow workers. You are a pain to be around because you don't know who you are. And so church is not just a religious thing. It's a life thing, finding out who we really are. So I give you this. When, uh, when they, Adam, of course, you know, when they finally sinned, God said, well, I'm going to have to do this. And they got evicted from the house. Kids started killing each other, you know. Fired from the job. It went bad from there. I'm going to give you these. Uh, I like this. this is Psalm 112. I read it last night. I'll just quote it right now. Psalm 112, verse 1 through 3. says this is, Blessed is the man or the woman. It means mom and or dad. Blessed are the people who fear God and delight in God's commandments. Two things. I fear God. I delight in his commandments. If I do that, my children will be successful everywhere. That's a promise. Did not say they'd be perfect. Said they would be successful. My children will be successful everywhere. You know, most people get married today because they get this flesh. You know, I like your flesh. I like the way your flesh looks. I like the way your flesh smells. I like the way your flesh walks. I like your flesh. I want to marry your flesh. You know, everybody's attracted their best to the flesh. You don't know them yet. All you do, you just saw their flesh. Do you know them, huh? Do you know their name? No, but I sure like the way they look. So flesh is always the starting point with everybody. Well, once you get hooked up, then you start talking. I like the way they talk. I like what they think, whatever. And then eventually you're supposed to find out what they think about their God. They know God like you know God. 
But most everybody gets married for the wrong reason. That's why we are the most Christian nation on the face of the planet per capita. We got the highest divorce rate. How can we have the highest divorce rate? Because you got married for the wrong reason. You got married for flesh. And flesh is going to move around on you. It's not going to stay the same. Nobody stays the same. People keep growing up. You know, my wife's not the same woman I married 42 years ago. She's a high-maintenance woman today. <laughs> got opinions and thoughts, and she doesn't think the way she did when we first got married. She's, she's got different thoughts today. Well, I'm not the same person. You're supposed to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So most people get married. I like you. I like you. I like to suck lips off your face. You like to suck lips off my face. Let's get married. But the way God intended it was, God made man first, made Adam, gave him a job. Adam had two things when he met Eve. He had a relationship with God, and he had a job. Two things. Before you need a wife, you need a relationship with God, you need a job. Because you don't need a help me to do nothing. That's a deep thought, but it's really good. The reason God made Adam a help me is because he had a relationship with him, and he had a job. A really big job. Got to name all the animals, subdue the earth, take dominion over it. I'm going to give you help me. But most people get married, and a man doesn't have a clue who he is. Probably doesn't have a job. Still living with mom and dad. And what are you doing? Well, this woman's going to help me. Help you do what? Well, what are you doing? Well, she, we're just in love. No, you're not. No, love's the most expensive four-letter word in the universe. You tell somebody I love you, it's going to cost you everything you've got. It costs God everything to love us. I tell men all the time, will you ever tell that woman I love you again? Get out your billfold, your 401K, your checkbook, your bank account, your rod and reel, your hunting dog, bass boat, pickup truck. Pile everything you own on a table, and then the next time you say I love you, shove it at her. Hey, I love you. Because if love's not costing you something, it's not love. You know, people just can't see, we're so in love. No, you're not. It's not costing you a thing. If it's not costing you something, it's not love. Love's expensive. It's going to cost you a whole lot. I, tell, I, said, I think I said it last year. Hallmark's got the cards all wrong. When you get married, it, it, it's, it's just, I'm so sorry. I heard you got married. <laughs> because a marriage is a funeral. It's a covenant. And you can't have a covenant unless somebody dies. So what happens that wedding, you're swearing before God and witnesses, today I'm dying to myself and I'm going to spend the rest of my life living for you. But when people don't understand that, they don't do that. They're a half-dead zombie. That's why they start demanding their own way and their own rights. My turn to choose. I don't get my way. When do I get to pick? You don't pick nothing. You're dead. I married a dead person. You're dead. You don't get to pick a thing. Now, you're laughing when I'm telling you the truth. We don't read the book as to what marriage is and what it was. It's the second greatest thing God ever did. But not if you don't operate it the way it's designed to function. And everything God made comes with power. You, you jump off a building with your saved or unsaved, you're coming to the ground. And if you're a Christian, you jump off a building, gravity does not bring you down slow. Hey, that's a Christian. Bring him down slow. <laughs> the laws of God work for whether you're saved or not saved. And there's laws that govern marriage, that govern life. So growing up in a big family like we did, we saw good, bad, and ugly. You know, you thought, well, maybe they just got lucky and they got unlucky. Because once you get born again, you get in church, you read the Bible, you realize there is no such thing as luck. Luck does not exist. There's God, the devil, heaven, and hell. We're, we're in between. Life and death. There's, just, there's no middle ground. There is no luck. There's God and the devil. I'm either serving one or I'm serving the other. I'm in one kingdom or in the other kingdom. But if you're in the devil's kingdom, that's a bad place to be. 
And so I realized something. I need to get born again. I got to get out of the devil's kingdom. I need to get in God's kingdom. You know, he loved me. And now what are you going to do? Well, I got to find out what he wants me to do. Well, he wants me to spend the rest of my life serving other people. That's what you do with your job. You know, people don't hire you because you need a job. They hire you because you can do something. They needed an electrician. They needed an accountant. They needed an attorney. They didn't hire you because you didn't have a job. They hired you to fix something that's busted. Now, I, my kids, I just tell them, they thought just because they got a college degree, somebody's going to hire them. Nobody's going to hire you just because you have a degree. There's a lot of people making a lot more money than people with degrees anyhow. All you got a degree for is to realize, hey, I, there's something I can do. You're trying to find out who needs you. You know, and it may not be where you think. But somewhere, somebody needs what you're good at, and they'll write you a check for it. And the more you take care of their need, the bigger check they're going to write. They're not going to write your check because you need a job. Most of America thinks the government owes them a job. We are the government. I'm the government. I vote. I pay taxes. I'm registered. I am the government. I don't give me a job. I go get a job. You understand that? We just get so messed up. So I realized, okay, I love my kids when they were born. They're cute, and they're so sweet. And, man, I'm looking forward to my grandbaby. This scene, this baby just gets me excited. Three more weeks, I'm going to have me a grandbaby. And so, but the whole idea is to grow them up, you know, because they don't stay a baby forever. They turn out like us. I used to be a grandbaby. <laughs> man, I'm an ugly grandbaby now. I'm telling you, I'm not near as cute as I used to be. And so what happened is the whole idea is to grow them up. The Bible says children are a reward from the Lord, Psalm 127. They're a reward from him, but we are to train them up, Proverbs 22, 6, and hand them back to God. They're just on loan. They're not mine forever. Oh, we birthed them, we bathed them, we wiped them, we taught them, we trained them. But the whole is to give them back to God so God can use them to reach a lost and dying world. Either by performing a service as an electrician or a preacher or a missionary or a doctor or a lawyer or just going and just being a blessing to somebody. We're the salt and we're the light. That's what we do. So I realized the success thing, so I'm going to give you these videos to... I want a successful kid. So I'll just give you these, these four basic scriptures. Joshua 1, verse 7 through 8. These are all New Living Translations. Joshua 1, 7 through 8. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the instructions that Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then, when? Then, when you do the instructions that Moses gave, the Word of God, then you will be successful in everything you do. Hmm. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. Then you'll be sure to obey everything written in, and only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Now, when are you going to prosper? When you study and meditate on the Word of God. If you don't know who you are, you're going to act weird. If you know who you are, you'll act like the Word of God says you're supposed to. As a man thinks his heart, so is he. Humans act the way they think. Parents used to bring kids to me all the time. Tell me, Joe, why do my children act that way? I said, well, it's pretty simple. They act that way because they think that way. What? Humans act how they think. Even heathen college professors will tell you that. Why do they act that way? Well, they think that way. That's why you need to watch what you think. That's why the Bible commands, think on these things. Whatever is lovely, honest, just, praiseworthy, of a good report. Don't think on those things. Those things try to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. That's why you're to meditate in the Word day and night. Then you'll prosper and have good success. The Third John 2, the Joshua 1, 8, the Psalm 1. All you got to do is get around somebody, get them in a five-minute conversation. You'll know what they read and watch and listen to because it's going to come out of their mouth. I get you in a five-minute conversation, I'll mark you. You and I are what we feed on. 
We were told what to feed on. You want to prosper? I sure do. Then you want to feed on this. You want to feed on the Word of God. Not to become a religious nut. I mean, you still have fun, go do stuff, even go to a movie, go to the lake, buy you a boat, go fishing. But when you start to think, you might want to think of what God's saying because that's going to determine how successful you become. When I was in basic training in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, a long time ago, 120 of us, the Vietnam War was winding down, and um, but things were still pretty stressful. So everybody's getting a draft notice. and So we show up for Fort Campbell. Well, it's the week we're going to learn how to throw a grenade. We're going to the grenade range, which is great. I'm tired of running and crawling on my belly and chewing dirt. And so let's go throw something. And so they put in this long tunnel, this long tunnel, and it comes down, and it's just a T. Then it's, when it's your turn, you get up off the bench, you walk out the T, and you walk into a concrete pit. You drop down in the pit. There's a drill instructor in there. When you drop down in the pit, the, the floor's not level. It's a concrete roof slanted. And then there's a, there's a ditch all the way around inside that hole where that roof slants. It goes down into that ditch. And that's so if you drop that grenade, it will roll down the hill and go into the ditch and explode. It won't blow you to smithereens in case you drop it. So you're thinking is, evidently, somebody's dropped one of these. That's why they're built this way. And so what to do, it's a live grenade. Now, it looks just like a can of pork and beans. It's nothing really fancy with all It's just a ground thing. But you get to pop the top, and so when it's your turn, you go up, and we're waiting. And so there was this, there was this pretty stout kid. I mean, nobody would mess with him much. Of course, we all got shaved heads. We look mean anyhow. And, uh, and he's, he's crying in, in the tunnel. He's just sitting there, and he's just kind of crying to himself like, you know, it's basic. We really don't know each other that well. It's not like, hey, what's wrong? Can I help you? I'm like, no, we're all trying to survive. We don't want to get killed. We don't want the drill instructor to kill us. We're trying to get ready to, you know, in case you get shipped to Vietnam. We don't want to get into your life. Bless your heart. You're crying about something. You better get over it because we've got a chunk of grenade here pretty soon. Well, we found out what he's crying about is that he's going to have to throw a grenade. He didn't want to throw a grenade. I thought you were an okie. Cowboys, you shouldn't be afraid of throwing something. You ever thrown a rock? It's like throwing a rock. Just chunk it. Chunk it really far. So it came his turn to get in the pit. Of course, we're, we're, we can look out the tunnel and see. So he jumps in the pit, and tears are running down his face. I mean, he's shaking. Well, drill instructor, he doesn't care. He's not, with a, he's not a social worker. He puts the can in his hand, and he said, you ready? So when I count through, you pop that thing, you rear back, and said, you heave it as far as you can. Well, snot's running down his face. Tears are, and so he's scared, so he, he pulls the pin. He said, count the three, and chunk that thing. Well, he reared back to chunk it. Well, he's had so much snot and tears, his hands wet. So when he went back to throw it, it came out of his hand, and it rolled. So the drill instructor had enough sense to heave his big old self out of there, and he crawled out just went boom. <laughs> you know, like that. It was exciting. <laughs> it was not a successful time. They made him go through three more times until he learned to throw that thing because it just messed him up something awful. He eventually, when we graduated eight weeks later, had to go back through for three more weeks because he just fear, fear. Some people fear succeeding. They have a fear of success. They just want to be normal. God didn't have anybody normal. God said, you'll be the head, not the tail, above and not beneath everything that's hand to a prostrate. I'm going to promote you. I shared last year, my kids ran cross-country. I hated cross-country. It's just the wackiest sport God ever invented. Because I played real sports like football, baseball, basketball. <laughs> you know, where you had stands and cheerleaders, and, you know, people came to actually watch. Cross-country, nobody came to watch. 
You, wow, well, they came once. They realized, we're not coming back to watch this again. Now, I admire people that run cross-country. because, Buddy, you've got to have some grit in your soul to do that sport. You've got to want to do that. Because there's nobody cheering you on. You're just, you're just, you're, you're humping it out there. And it's a good thing to be able to do. It means you're really healthy. And so Jessica, my second daughter, had always been great running long distance. She'd been in the top ten in every race she'd ever run. 5K, 10K, I mean the half marathon, she could run forever. She wasn't fast, but, buddy, she could run forever. And so she'd usually run off and leave people eventually. She'd finish, like I said, top ten almost every time. So this is the first cross-country meet for our high school, and we were in Oklahoma City, and I don't remember how many there were. There was over 150 people participating. Now, what I didn't like about cross-country, there's not a starting line. You just herd like cattle. You're just bunched up there like it's a some kind of crazy Christmas sale. They fire a gun, and off through the woods you go. So we're just sitting on the hood of the car waiting for them to come back. Sure enough, a little less than an hour, here they come back. And, and my daughter, who's always been in the top ten, she came in at 118th. Well, I'm living. I had to drive two hours to Oklahoma City, paid $27 at McDonald's, half tank of gas for a Suburban, to watch you come in at 118th. And I, I was yelling when she crossed the finish line. I'm a minister. I was a minister then. I'm just, I'm living like, where you been? Where you been? She, I said, where you been? Wait a minute. Said, they don't give ribbons for 118th. Where you been? And and she finally explained what happened when she got ready to run. Uh, three of her friends, that's the very first cross-country meet, I understand. But when she got ready to run, three of her friends said, hey, can we run with you? You run with us? We're sure who don't want to be loved. She said, sure, I'll run with you. And so they ran together and they paced her because she'd usually run off and leave them. And they paced her. She came in 118th. And I told her, I said, next cross-country meet, if you don't come in the top ten, you're not ever running another cross-country meet. You stay home Saturday, run around the house for an hour. I'll give you a ribbon. First place. But said, you're not ever doing this again. I said, if any of your friends ever ask you, hey, can we run with you? You tell them if you can keep up. Because the whole purpose of running a race is to win, not to participate. Because you know cross country. If you're running cross country and you don't see anybody else running, one of two things are happening. You're either doing really, really good or you're doing really, really bad. Either way, you can't stop running. But if you're running cross-country you see other people, you're not doing anything. You're just with the pack, and it's not good. And so what the world's done to our families and our children is we just want to be loved. We just want to have friends. We just want to be accepted. We just want everybody like us and invite us to come to their party and just have you know get a date. No, that's not the purpose. Your purpose is to go serve by leading. You serve by leading, helping people. It's an upside-down pyramid. God said, you want to be the greatest in my kingdom? Become a servant of all. Well, you got to do that because most people don't want to serve. I remember the first time I got a real job. You know, I grew up on a farm, but I got a real job. Got back out of the Army, and I was shocked. Union shop, great plant. Olin Masson made big aluminum cable. I was stunned how many men, men, hey, don't want to do that. Hey, you need to slow down. Hey, you're moving too fast. Hey, don't work so hard. You make us look bad. Like They worked more at getting out of work than they did at working. I said, the purpose of working, i got a lot of hobbies. Work's not one of them. I'm working to get a paycheck. And my dad said, the harder you work, usually the better paycheck you're going to get. So I'm going to move. And I had people, man, get mad and cut my tires and write stuff on the side of my locker. Like, why? I work too hard. I didn't work hard. I worked normal. That's why eventually I moved up through the plant became an engineer. <laughs> How'd you become an engineer? I worked hard. You know, you work hard, you get promoted. You don't work hard, you don't get promoted. You go through life one time, what are you doing? So I, was, I, I, want, I want to succeed at what I'm doing. Now, the challenge of succeeding is you need some knowledge about what it is you're doing. 
God said, my people are stored for lack of knowledge. When I was, uh, oh gosh, this has been about um, 15 years ago, 16 years ago. I was with a buddy of mine uh, that we were good friends. He played for football at the University of Alabama, uh, went to the University of Alabama. And he and I have known each other for a long time. I grew up in Tennessee, Tennessee, Alabama, big rival. So we met and we were children's pastors. Well, he came to visit me in Chattanooga one time, and they've got a big hang gliding place down there where you can go up on Signal Mountain and jump off. That's not that far to the valley. It's probably straight down maybe 300 feet, but it's, it looks further. And so we saw the sign, hang gliding, you know, $5. Like, $5? That's it? $5? You know? So, yeah. So we, we took our kids. You know, at that time we had two each. We walked up the mountain trail and we go up to the hang gliding. And it's a huge wooden platform they built off the top of that mountain. And they got a guy, and he straps you into a hang glider. <laughs> now, this guy's a hippie reject. I mean, he, he hadn't bathed in a while. He's got an unfiltered cigarette hanging out of his mouth, <laughs> and, uh, and he's the instructor. It's like, whoa. And what they do, they do tie a rope on the back of your hang glider that's on a giant pulley. Now, there's no motor to it. He has a stick that he's cut in the woods. It's a V-shaped stick, and that's the brake. It's a $5 jump. And so the whole is you, you strap that big hang on you, and you run as fast as you can to build up speed to get some wind, and you jump off the ramp off the side of that mountain. And that's what you're supposed to do. That was it. That was all the instruction you got. No video, no nothing. Now, if he thinks you're going to kill yourself, what he does is he'll take that stick, and he'll put it on that rope because that rope's coming off. Because you're going down 300. You. And he'll just slow you down with that thing. We just hope the stick doesn't break. You got a spare stick? I mean, <laughs> what happens that stick breaks, you know? And so I wanted to go first because I knew if I don't go first, I won't go. This is scary. I, I never should have come up here. I never should have done this. This is really stupid. My kids are watching. It's my best friend. We're kind of competitive. Anyhow, I was like, okay, I'm first. I'm first. Just get it over with. So I strapped that thing on, and I took off running. And I was a lot lighter then. I'm, I didn't have a whole lot of weight to me. And I'm running. The problem is when you run with a hang glider on your back, every time you run, you come off the ground. You're like Tinkerbell. I can't get any speed because every time I run, whoop, whoop. You know? And so when I jumped off the other thing, I went straight down. And, and, and you can hear the guy yelling because he said, now when you jump, you pull the bar back against your legs, put that thing in a nosedive to build up enough wind to catch you so you'll fly. I thought, great. When I jump off, man, it's straight down. I get, you're on top of a mountain like, Whoa. I pull that bar back, and the wind is just hitting you. You know, like, and also I could hear him, even though it's noise, I can hear him, push out on the bar. And I thought, okay, I guess it's time. Well, I didn't know how to do it gradually. I just shoved it. Boom. Well, when I did, I just stopped. And I said, I heard it, pull back on the bar. I pulled back. I know that. I came down quicker, he said, than anybody he had ever had. I never jumped again. This is a stupid thing to do. Don't hang glide without better knowledge, okay? Yeah, God just protects me that day. That's a, how I get getting killed, I don't know. There's been so many things in our life we do without knowledge, trying to prove we have knowledge. You know, the God said he exalts the humble. The meek will inherit the earth. Meek's not weak. The word meek means teachable. Who's going to get exalted? The meek, the teachable. If you're not teachable, you're just mouthing. You don't know anything. You're trying to prove to everybody you know something. So we were doing this trip with uh, Pastor Willie, gosh, back in 92, went to South Africa and uh, doing this big kids' crusade for about a week. And um, 
They said, well, we'll give you a tour. You come all the way across the world. We're going to show you something in South Africa. So they went to show us these diamond mines. And we didn't go down in them because you don't want to do that. That was, man, that's rough. But they showed where the richest diamond mine in South Africa at the time had ever been discovered. And there's a big brass plaque on this big, tall tower they got built there. And it told the story about who owned this big diamond mine. At one time, uh, Dutch farmers had come down to the southern part of Africa, very fertile soil. And back this before we built dikes in Holland, men they're flooding everything, they're trying to survive, so they came and they planted potatoes. But in South Africa, grow some of the most massive potatoes you've ever laid your eyes on. There's huge potatoes. Soil's just so fertile down there. It's amazing. So you got all these Dutch farmers down there plant potatoes, and all of a sudden these scattered out, and they're coming, doing pretty good. All of a sudden, one day somebody said, hey, they'd, they'd struck gold. Somebody found gold. Well, some of the farmers sold the farms to go look for the gold. Next thing you know, they said, hey, we found diamonds. Somebody found diamonds. Well, other farmers sold their farms to go look for diamonds. And this one guy was like one of the last holdouts. He said, I'm not a diamond hunter. I'm not a gold. I farm. I farm real good. God's blessed me. I'm going to stay right here. And so finally, he couldn't stand it anymore. He heard of people getting rich beyond their wildest dreams. He's digging and planting potatoes. He said, I can't do it. He can't stand it. So he sold his farm. His wife didn't want him to. He had two kids. He sells his farm, gets him a couple of wagons, some picks, some shovels, some lanterns. He goes off to get his wealth, going to dig some diamonds, dig some gold. Well, another farmer bought his farm. Now, the first farmer, according to the plaque, spent almost 30 years looking for gold, looking for diamonds, found some, but never enough to sustain them. Uh, his wife left him, his children left him, and at the end of his life, they found his wagon next to a river, and a note on the sink because he had thrown himself into the river to commit suicide because he died broke. Now, the, what was on the plaque was the guy that had bought his farm uh, invited a friend to come over and build another barn because he's, he's got him a good farm now. He bought it from the first guy. And he's excited to plant potatoes, and they're going to build him another barn. So he's been working all day, and they come in to eat dinner in the evening. If you've ever been out west, Oklahoma or Texas, anywhere before they had electricity, you always built your house facing the west where the windows are, so you could eat dinner in the evening after working all day with some sunlight. And so they did the same thing in South Africa. Homes are facing the west, so when the sun sets, you got some light eating dinner. And his buddy that came to help him build this new barn, they're eating dinner. He's going to stay with him a few weeks. And so they're eating dinner, and all of a sudden the sun begins to set. Sunlight comes in the window. It hits this big rock on the fireplace mantle, and red and blue light dance all over the room. And the farmer's friend said, my goodness, what is that? He said, well, it's a crystal, a big old crystal. Said so the farmer got up and looked at it. I said, man, I didn't look like any crystal I've ever seen. He said, if I didn't know better, I'd say, that's a diamond. Well, it can't be a diamond. It's the size of an Irish potato. Diamonds are little things. This is a big old thing. The guy said, no, I'm telling you, if I didn't know better, I think this is a diamond. Take this into town and ask somebody. Find out what it is. He said, I'm not going to do it. I've got to live here. I'm not going to go to town with an Irish potato and ask if it's a diamond. They'll laugh me out of town. And the guy keeps arguing. He says, no, I'm telling you, I think this is a diamond. And the farmer who bought the farm says, no, it can't be. He said, the creek bed's full of them. And it's a true story. It's on the plaque. And so both the farmers took their wooden buckets and their kids and walked out back about 30 yards behind the house in this, this little stream, ankle deep, and filled it up with two bucks full of diamonds just laying on the stream bed behind the house. Now, the point of that story is one guy sold it to go look for it. Most of our kids, the devil gets in their head early, and they're going somewhere to be somebody and do something. God made you somebody the moment you were conceived. You're already gifted. God's got a plan for your life.
Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have you. I have plans to prosper enough to harm you, give you future and hope. God's got great plans. But if you don't get the word of God in them, they spend the rest of their life trying to be somebody instead of just going ahead and accepting the fact God's already made me somebody. I don't have to be first chair flute, captain of the football team. I don't have to be able to shoot three-point shots. I am somebody because God said so. That's why in school you always realize the guys that were athletes, we ended up getting jobs from guys that played no sports. They're the guys with the thick glasses that were studying all the time. I'm not making this up. That's who hired us. They were studying. We're not studying. We don't need to study. We're real men. We're going to play sports. Get a date. <laughs> well, you realize they don't play you to play sports after high school unless you're incredibly good. We didn't know anything. You get paid for two things. You get paid for what you know and what you can do. And based on my paycheck, I didn't know anything, nor could I do anything. And that, that's, that's where I ended up going back to night school. So I'll give these to you. I like this. These are success scriptures. Joshua 1.8. That you'll be successful in everything if you study and meditate. Psalm 90, verse 17. Psalm 90, verse 17. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our effort successful. Yes, Lord, make. You know, that's a good prayer. You ought to write that down. Make our effort successful. It's like, whoa. God wants us to succeed. God wants our children to succeed. Everybody says, well, you know, the economy's bad and things are this way and gas prices are high and nobody can afford a house. I can. God said I could. God said I'd be successful. But if you don't believe it, it's not going to happen. Jesus could do nothing for anybody that didn't believe he could. Every time Jesus ministered to somebody, he'd ask them, believe us that I can do this? Is that important? Yeah, because I'm limited. I'm God. I created the universe. I can do all things, but I'm limited by what you believe I can do. Faith comes by hearing him by the word of God. There's religions that made fun of the faith message for years. It's still the truth. You get what you believe. You get what you believe. As a man thinks his heart, so is he. What do you believe? I believe I'm going to be blessed. I believe my children are going to be mighty upon this planet, going to be successful everywhere. I believe that. God said so. How are you going to, keep, how are you going to believe it? I'm going to say it a lot. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. So in the areas of our life where we've been weak, I'd take three by five cards, and I'd write the Scriptures down in the mouth of two or three witnesses of things established, and I'd write it. My children will be successful on this planet. They're going to bring great honor to their family name. They're going to bring honor to their mother's name. I mean, I'd write them all down, and I'd, just, I'd confess them every day. My seed will be mighty. It's going to be great honor. Aren't you worried about your children embarrassing? Nope. Have they ever done anything stupid? Yep. They're human. They have. I've taught them how to repent quick and forgive quick. I've taught them that the righteous fall seven times a day, but they get back up. We're not the perfect people. We're the getting back up people. Because the devil wants to do is the first time you mess up, he wants to make you feel incredibly stupid and get you to not ever try again. That's where most people are. That's why most people are dropping. You know, we have the highest dropout rate of any, any educated nation on the face of the planet. Uh, boys outnumber girls 13 to 1 of remedial reading classes in public schools because we don't like looking stupid. We won't even try. We'll just make fun of school. We'll drop out. We'll join a gang. What are you trying to do? I'm looking for honor. It's my number one need. Well, God's got a way for me to get honor. It's by doing what I was called and gifted to do. But if I don't know I'm called and gifted, I won't do anything except show off. I'll be a show off. I'll be a bully. I'll be the class clown, the class bully. What are you doing? Trying to get honor. God's already given me honor. I didn't know that, though. Nobody told me. And that's why the devil didn't want you in church. That's why kids don't want to go to church. I don't go to church. I don't go to just a bunch of old people and religious people. I don't want to go to church. Like, you're a doofus. You're going to go to church. <laughs> you know, people say, how'd you get your kids to go to church? And I, and I don't know how to answer this right. I said, how'd you get your kids to go to church? I said, it was never an option. Amen. I mean, it wasn't even talked about. They never even asked. This is what we do. <laughs> Praise God. It's Sunday. <laughs> We're going. 
And there's no, there was never any discussion. Now, I don't have perfect kids, but church was never not. We do, this is what we do. We breathe, we eat, we sleep, we go to church. It's what you do. What are we trying to do? Grow up in God. Mom, there's a devil. He's going to kill you dead because he's not afraid of you. He's afraid of God in you. And if you have God in you, he's going to stomp you in the dirt. You'll never get a date. You'll never pass out. you never play ball. Nobody's going to invite you to come to a party or be on their team. He's a thief, a murderer, and a liar. He's going to take you out. He's going to do so mentally first. You can make it feel really bad about yourself. <laughs> Probably not. You're a doofus. That's why every drugstore from Walgreens to Rite Aid, you go to any drugstore, there are two aisles, two aisles in every drugstore in America full of depression medication. We're the most depressed nation on the face of the planet. About what? Well, you know, we might want to start thinking different. God says you're blessed. You're highly favored. He'll surround you with divine favor. People are going to like you not even know why. He's going to talk to you and you go to sleep and get up. If you don't know that, you're thinking something else besides God's word because the joy of the Lord is supposed to be your strength. You're supposed to have a merry heart. It's because you're thinking stupid. You are what you think. I mean, even heathens have figured this out. It's like we've got to change that. I like this. This is Psalm uh, 112. Now, I read this. This is just the verse 1 and 2. Those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commandments, their children will be successful everywhere. Now, that was the one I grabbed hold of. That was my first three by five card. Father, I thank you. My kid's going to be successful. Because, you know, my oldest daughter, she's a college professor today. She does really good, makes good money, loves what she does. But she, she was bad at algebra. She's horrible. It's like flunked it two years in a row. I got on to her one time. We got to do something. She said, algebra's of the devil. Alice is on the devil. I said, no, it's not. And she said, yes, it is. You said so. I said, I've never seen them that stupid. Yes, you did. You said, God does everything decently and in order. And God made letters. And God made numbers. And some heathens put them together. It's confusion. <laughs> and she was in the kitchen crying when she said, I thought, God, that's good. That's, that's good. That can't be right. <laughs> and so, anyhow, we went to night school and summer school. And we finally passed Alice and got into college. So thank God. Proverbs 1, verse 3, Proverbs 1, verse 3. The purpose of the Proverbs, you know, all the Proverbs. The purpose of the Proverbs is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. To help them do what is right, to do what is just, and do what is fair. Tokyo's reading your Bible won't make you religious. It'll make you successful. It'll change how you think. I'm not trying to make you religious. I hate religion. I'm trying to make you successful. You think God's thoughts, good things are going to happen. Because the Holy Ghost will bring to remembrance whatever you've studied. If you've not studied it, he can't cheat. He won't remind you of anything you've not read. Oh, my goodness. That's just scary when you think about it. Now, I'm going to violate some laws in public speaking, so just hang with me here. These are, this is what I printed out for my kids. You can download this off my website for free. These are all the success scriptures. Because you just said it because you're my father. Yes, I am. Because I don't want you to go stupid on me because I have to write a check if you go stupid. You can laugh, I'm serious. Psalm thirty four eleven, Psalm thirty four eleven says this, New Living Translation. Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Now we talked about this last night. Proverbs nine verse ten. Proverbs nine ten. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, that's a good thing. I like some of that. Proverbs three, verse thirteen and sixteen. Proverbs three, verse thirteen and sixteen. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. Well, now, if I pray for God to teach my children to fear him, that will be the doorway to wisdom. What happens if they get wisdom? They're going to be happy kids. I love happy kids. 
I hate depressed kids, miserable kids, mouthy kids, thumb-sucking kids. I need you to get happy. You need to get happy. Hey, get happy. Well, you need to fear God because that's the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom will make you happy. Right now, you're not happy because you're just mad, which means you're using no wisdom. If you're using no wisdom, you don't fear God. How do you fear God? You need to ask him to teach you because evidence leaked out. That's why you're not happy right now. I like this Proverbs 1, 7. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is also the beginning of knowledge. Well, you know, God said, back at my people destroyed for lack of knowledge. I don't want you to be destroyed. I need you to get some knowledge. How do you get knowledge? You need to fear God. How do you fear God? You need to ask him to teach you. So all of a sudden, what are you doing? I'm giving them scripture. Instead of making it a religious thing, I'm trying to help you be successful. If you'll fear God, you'll succeed. On the basketball court, on the soccer field, in first chair flute, you'll succeed. Why, God promised you'd succeed. It's, it's not just one scripture. It's in there over and over. And God wants to look good through you. But you're going to have to let him. He won't force you to do that. You've got to let him. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. This is a great one. Through wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, it is established. And by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Like, ooh, that's good. Then Proverbs 1, verse 20 and 23. There are four kinds of kids. I mentioned this last night. Wise, simple, foolish, and scornful. I want a wise kid. How do you get one? I'm going to pray every day. I'll pray it tonight before I go to sleep. Father, I give you permission to teach Sarah, Jessica, Cora, Tessa, Lauren, John, Matt, Mark, and Dan, and my mom, and Denise, and I. Teach us to fear you, for the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. With that wisdom comes long life, riches, and honor. And I said, I can say it so fast, I don't even understand what I'm saying sometimes. People said, you believe that? Yes, I do. I've said it so much, I can just spit it out, but I believe it every time I say it. Sometimes I meditate on it when I say it like, Man, I'm real thankful, Father. Sometimes I'm tired or I'm in a hurry, and I'll just sit real quick so I can get it moving. You watch over your word to perform it. doesn't matter how fast I say it. I just spoke your word. Angels are busy. Some of you caught that, and that's good. Luke chapter 2, verse 52 is where I'm going to try to leave off here in a little bit. Jesus grew. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor of God and favor of the man. Uh we're going to kind of pick this up tomorrow night, but I'll just jump in it. If you read Luke chapter 2, back up around verse 40, Jesus was 12 years old. Uh, every year they went to Jerusalem for the big festival, eight-day festival. Uh, from Bethlehem down there, it's a four-day march. It's down a bad road with thugs and robbers and thieves. There's no electric lights. They have no Coleman lanterns. You didn't go by yourself. You always went with a group of people to protect yourself. So it's a four-day march down there. It's an eight-day festival. festival ends around noon on the eighth day. They head back home. Usually they go about four hours heading back home. This is about 60-something miles. So they're heading back, and they pitch camp. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, they pitch camp, and all of a sudden it's time for dinner. It's been a busy morning. Ended half a day in Jerusalem. We walked four hours. Sun's about to set. Let's get the tent up and build a fire, and let's cook some dinner. Mary tells Joseph, get the kids in here, it's time to eat. By this time, Jesus is 12, and they've got two or three more, depending on who you read. They bring the kids in, there's no Jesus. Mary tells Joseph, where's Jesus at? I don't know, I'll yell for him, he's out there somewhere. Well, go get him, get him in here, it's time to eat. Well, Joseph disappears for about an hour. Now, that's a big camp. Camels, donkeys, people, big kids, little kids. He comes back right at dark, and he's got this funny look on his face, and he says, I can't find him. Mary says, what? I can't find him, he's not there. What do you mean he's not there? Well, I checked with everybody. Nobody's seen him since Jerusalem. Because they just assumed, the Bible says, they assumed he was with other relatives. Because you know how kids are, like a family reunion. And so they get back, there's no Jesus. Well, all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, we've lost it. We've lost Jesus. We couldn't have lost one of the other kids. We had to lose that one. 
Oh, my God, we've lost the Son of God. Well, they can't go anywhere till the sun comes up. So all night, I bet they screamed and yelled and hollered all night long. Next morning, they, they got a hoof. It's four-hour march back to Jerusalem. The Bible says for three days, they look for Jesus. That means he's been gone for four days. For four days, they've lost the blessed Son of God. Now, I don't know where they're looking. Maybe they're looking at the movie theaters, bowling alleys, pool halls. Where's the 12-year-old boy at? Because the Bible says after three days, they couldn't find him. They looked all over Jerusalem. We haven't have lost Jesus. And all of a sudden, one of them said, where have we not looked? And somebody said, well, we've not looked at church. Maybe he's in church. Maybe he's just a wacky 12-year-old. Maybe he's in church. Paraphrasing. They walk down the temple, and there he sits. And Mary's just livid. Son, why have you done this to your father and I? Because when mom's really mad, they drag names, dad's name in. Your father and I, and your father and I, and the dad care less. Thank God we got him. Let's go. We're already late. Why have you done this? And Jesus answered in the King James, he's 12. He said, no, you're not. I need to be about my father's business. Or he says, this, I don't know about you. I got stuff I need to be doing. And it says he was sitting there talking to the leaders in the temple asking questions and giving some phenomenal answers. Now, what's he doing as a 12-year-old? Well, he's trying to figure out who he is. People look at you funny in the South and you say that. What? Yeah, Jesus is trying to find out who he is. Doesn't he know? Uh-uh. No, because, see, a man lost this planet. A man's got to get it back. And that's why God had to find a man named Abram to strike a covenant with. And then when a son, 17, said, I need you to offer your son to me. Why? Because I can't send my son to earth unless you offer me your son. I've got to find a man on earth who will strike a covenant with me. God's not a human. He's God. If he comes down here, he's got to be born legally. He can't do anything unless he's born here. Thus, silent night, holy night, weeks, your kings of Orinar. Most people don't even think about it. They just light the candles, buy some Christmas presents, put up a tree. Do you understand what happened? God came to earth as a man. A man lost. That's why it's Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, all God, all man. When Jesus is on this planet, he did nothing as God. If he did, he cheated. And you can't cheat. Adam, a man lost it. Jesus, a man's got to get it back. Well, who's in there? Well, Christ, the creator of the universe, holds the 93 billion known galaxies together by the power of his word. He's got it all going on. Where's he at? He's in that mother's womb. Who's in there? The second member of the Godhead, Christ. Who's in that mother's womb? Christ. No. No, it is. The Spirit of God. The second member of the God is in that mother's womb. He's got to be born here legally or he has no authority here. You know, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for us right now, the Bible says, ever living to make intercession for us. There's nobody in heaven doing that. You know why he can do that? He's a human. It's legal. If you're not a human, you can't do that. It's going to get quiet. I tell people all the time, I, I, I was an engineer for years, and when I became a minister, I realized something. Most people don't read their Bible. Oh, they'll argue it and holler it and quote it, and they don't read it. It's real simple. You've got to read it. It's a great story. It's a great story. It's true. God had to come to earth as a man to get us back. That's why when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's going to the cross, he's sweating blood. He's praying so hard. What, what's he praying? Father. It's in every Easter movie. Can you, let, can you let this cup pass from me? What's he asking? Is there some other way we can do this? Well, don't you know you're God? No, I laid down my glory in heaven, took on the body of a man. I am God, but I can't do anything as God. Because you and I are spirit, soul, and body. Jesus is spirit, soul, and body. What's he trying to figure out? 
Well, in his soul, he's trying to figure out who he is. You, you understand that? If you ever go back and read it in Luke 2 through Luke 4, Jesus is 30. He's just come back out of the wilderness, squared off against the devil three times with three of his written. He comes back, he's water baptized by that camel hair bug-eating Baptist. He comes back into town. It's the Sabbath. And he said he came into the synagogue on the Sabbath to read the scrolls as usual. Jesus read a lot because the men took turns to read on the Sabbath. Well, this just so happens this day they hand Jesus the scroll from Isaiah. And he reads it. Now, it just happened to be open. It's just this is where we're reading this week. Here you read it. Well, what it is is about how he came to heal the sick, cast out devils, and raise the dead. He's quoting about himself. When he finished reading, he hands the scroll back. They wrote it up. Every synagogue's got a Messiah's chair in it for a Messiah to sit in when he comes back. Nobody sits in that chair. It's a beautifully embroidered chair. And it's sitting there. Nobody sits there. When Jesus finished reading that scroll, he walked over and he sat down in that chair and said all eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him intently. So they're staring at it. He's sitting in that chair. And then he opens his mouth and he says, Today, today... Is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? You know what he's telling them? I'm 30 today. I just now finally realize I'm him. I'm here. I'm back. <laughs> and it says, the next two verses, now I made a whole seminar of this. I'm trying to cram it in, but just hang with me. It's about parenting. All of a sudden he realizes who he is. And it says the first next, the next sentence after he says it says, Oh, wasn't that good how he read that scripture? That sure was good, man. Nobody's ever, we've got to have him read more often. Nobody reads as good as he reads. And the next sentence is, what did he just say? And so he said he's the one, the, the, the one one. He says he's the Messiah, the one we're waiting on. He's sitting in the chair. Well, that's not him. That's Joseph's son. And immediately said they went, they went furious. They went from complimenting him and bragging on him, and they jumped up and they mobbed him. They didn't take up an offering. They drug him out of the synagogue to the edge of the town to throw him off a cliff. Why? Because he said, I'm him. I tell people all the time, the day Jesus found out who he was, I am the Son of God. I am. It's Christ in here. I know who I am. My spirit's always known. My spirit knows the truth. Your spirit knows the truth. Your spirit can't sin. It's hooked up to the Holy Spirit. When you sin, you're sinning your flesh. Every time you and I make a decision, there's a three-member board meeting going on. It was God trying to lead me. My spirit says, yes, Father, we're going to do that. We're going to do that a lot. We're going to do that right now. My flesh says, shut up your nose, God. I'm going back to dust anyhow. I'm not doing a thing you say. If the devil tempts me, my spirit doesn't even know what that sin is. My spirit says, no, no, devil, we're not doing that. I don't know what it is, but I can I sense we're not going to do that. That's not right. My flesh is going to say, we're going to do that. We're going to do that a lot. We're going to invite a lot of people to do that with us. So whether it's either God leading me or my children or the devil tempting me, there is a tie vote every time without exception. My spirit will never go with the devil. It will always go with God. My flesh will never go with God. It will always go with the devil. Who casts the deciding vote? Romans twelve two. I need to renew my mind, my soul with the word of God. My soul, every time without exception, makes the final decision. So what did Jesus find out in day 30? His soul just finally figured out who he was. Today is this scripture fulfilled. There's no recorded prayers of Jesus until he was 30 years old. I'm not saying he didn't pray, but there's no record of him anywhere. Why? Nobody's messing with him. Until you find out who you are, nobody's going to mess with you. King David got mad at God and said, why did the heathen prosper? How come their cattle aren't sick and their kids aren't mean and 
their sheep aren't dying. And God answers this because the devil's got them. The devil's not a torturer. He's a murderer. He wants you dead. If he's got you, he's not bothering you. You're going to make a lot of money and spouse suck your lips off your face. Kids make you proud. And then you're going to burn in hell forever. The devil's not bothering you if he's got you. But he told David, you son, <laughs> you got a bulls on both sides of you because you belong to me. <laughs> That's not a bumper sticker, but it's in the Bible. <laughs> All of a sudden, the day Jesus found out who he was, who are you? I am the son of God. A riot broke out. And from that moment on, you can't go hardly four verses without Jesus praying. Jesus prayed early. Jesus prayed late. Jesus prayed all night. Why are we praying all of a sudden? He's trying to get the mind of the Father. Don't you know? You're the Son of God. Yeah, but I laid down my glory in heaven, took on the body of a man. I'm here as a man. I've got to function as a man, so I've got to ask my Father. That's why he told them, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. If you've heard me, you've heard my Father. The Father and I are one. Then why are you praying all night? Remember Peter? They were at Peter's mother-in-law's house. Great miracles are going on. People are getting healed. All of a sudden, man, they're having meetings. Man, revivals broke out. The offerings are great. People are bringing food. Everybody's hugging your neck. we got great meetings. Jesus stayed up all night and prayed. Peter got a nap. He woke up the next morning at sunrise, came and found Jesus, said, man, hey, get up, Lord, man. The lines are long. Man, we got revival going on. Ooh, are we being successful or what? And Jesus said, no, no. We're, I've been praying all night. My father says we need to go over here. And do what? And what we did here. We got it going on here. Yeah, but these people can continue this. They can lay hands on the sick. They can teach. We've got to go where it's not been happening yet. We've got to go start it over here. I've been praying. My father says we've got to go over here. Jesus prayed all the time. What's he trying to do? Find out what he's supposed to do. He's God, doesn't he know? No, he's here as a man. Nobody just reads their Bible. He said, the things I do, you'll do also, and greater things than these do because I'm going to my father. You think I'm something, you're going to do what I did. You're going to preach the gospel, lay hands on the sick people, cast out devils, take authority. That is unless you don't know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, it's going to get ugly. A lot of good people go home early. A lot of people just get really mad because the devil's a thief, a murderer, and a liar. He's not afraid of me because I'm born again. He's afraid of the word of God in my heart coming out of my mouth. It is the only offensive weapon I possess. Now, I'm talking on parenting tonight. I love my kids. I want you to be good, and I want you to tell the truth and pass algebra, you know, and make good grades and get a college scholarship. But I realized after a while that that's not going to be enough. If you don't find out who you are in him, in whom in Christ, if you're not in the Word of God, if you're not fellowship with the saints, if you're not praying, hell's going to clean your plow. Now, I shared it last year, but when Jesus picked a staff, the first three he picked were cousins. He picked Peter, James, and John. Those are the only ones he gave nicknames to. The other nine didn't get any nicknames. Because he's getting ready, he realizes something. Well, it's been a busy day. You now I about got kicked out of the temple. They tried to shove me off a cliff, stone me to death, but I just walked through the middle of them. Now he's been, man, healing sick people, crazy things going on, hands are growing out, eyeballs are popping in. He's feeding hungry people, and he realizes this is getting busy. I need a staff. So all of a sudden he picks, he picks, he picks Simon and says, Simon, you're going to be my first employee. You're going to be my first staff member, but I don't like your name. That's a sissy name. So we're going to call you the rock. You're going to be rock. Peter means the rock. Once you get you a biker vest, shave your head, get your handlebar mustache, some tattoos, you, you're the rock. I'm paraphrasing, but just hang with me. James and John, who were cousins, 80% of most theologians believe, and I agree with them. And the King James says Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. You boys are going to be the sons of thunder. Once you get you a biker vest, shave your head, get your handlebar mustache, and 
you to rock, you to sons of thunder. Because when you just read the New Testament, every time hell got hot, those are the three he took. When he went to raise the girl from the dead, he only took Peter, James, and John. When he went to the Mount of Transfiguration, he only took Peter, James, and John. You understand? When he went off to pray at night, it's only Peter, James, and John that went with him. When it got tough, he'd taken those three. You nine have a seat. I love you, but you three come with me. Why? They're mean as snot. <laughs> that one right there, he's going to cut your ear off. I'm going to have to put it back on. Great potential. Those two right there, twice, going to try to call fire out of heaven and burn you to a French fry, and I'm going to have to stop them. I really like them. Jesus didn't hire sissies. See, the devil has worked through the world that all Christians are wimps and they're sissies. Listen, we, we, are, we are not a sissy people. We're compassionate people. We're loving people. We're giving people. But you really don't want to mess with us. There are angels camped out around us. We are the apple of God's eye. You really don't want to mess with us. Remember the apostle Paul when he came to the church of Corinth? Said, well, how are things going? Well, let's just ban Paul. We got problems. I mean, man, we got a guy shacked up with his mother-in-law, and people are getting drunk at communion. And every time we have communion, everybody's getting drunk. They didn't have shot glasses. They had big jugs. <laughs> it wasn't well. To and, uh, and so he said, what do you got now? What well, this guy shacked up with his mother-in-law. Well, we need to pray for him. Let's all just join hands. We're going to pray. We're going to have to get God involved here. And so they all joined hands. <laughs> Paul's praying, Father, we we lift this man up to you right now. And, Father, we just turn his flesh over to the devil so his soul might be saved in the day of judgment. Amen. And I guarantee there are people that are like, what, 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 what did we just pray? Well, we turned him over to the devil because we love him. And we don't want him to go to hell. So hell's coming. We really love him. Amen. Is that a legitimate prayer? It must have been because Paul prayed. And like, How would you like to pray that Sunday morning? Well, we're going to turn them over to the devil. Let's all get in agreement. Like, Whoa, you're never going to hear that in a church. Anyhow, these are the scriptures on teaching. Okay, let me do this. Give me five minutes here. These are all the teaching scriptures because I realize I love my kids, but they're not going to be nice because they're supposed to be nice. I've got to teach them. I've got to teach them. I've got to teach and train. If I don't teach and train, they're not going to turn it. And it's a full-time job, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Because most parents that I deal with and I only deal with Christians have this stupid statement. Well, bless God, I'll be glad when they grow up. I said, they're not going to. They'll be growing the day the trumpet sounds. They'll still be growing. Everybody's going to be growing. It is not a destination. It is a journey. We're going to grow in his grace and his knowledge. Again, that's why you've got to be in church. If you're not in church, you're not growing. I've got to get in church. My family's got to be in church. Why? It's, it's fellowship with the saints, sitting on the word of God, repenting, forgiving, getting into worship and singing. That's how you grow. If you're not growing, you're not going to do it. So I give you these. I like this, Genesis 18, 19. These are the ones on teaching and training. The reason God picked Abraham was that he knew him, that he would teach his children and his children's children. That's why he got picked. It wasn't because he was holy. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Started off with Abram. God picked Abraham not because he was holy. God picked him because he would teach his children. Teaching the next generation is critical. Not just one time. It's a continual deal. Because my kids, I don't care how many times I teach them, they're going to see me mess up. Dad, what happened? Well, I made a mistake. I think I sinned right there. I need to repent or forgive. And I gotta, I'm not a perfect father. My kids aren't perfect because I'm not, I'm not perfect. But I'm growing, and I want them to know I'm growing. So we have, we're real open with our family. Psalm 78, Psalm 78, verse 5 through 8 says this. For God issued his law to Jacob and gave instructions to Israel. He commanded 
our ancestors, to teach them diligently to their children. To them is what was through verse 1 through 4 of the law of God. Teach them to their children so that the next generation might know them. Know what? The Word of God. Even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children so that each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting His glorious miracles and obeying His commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors who were stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. It says they went into rebellion. God said this, if you add it up, God said, I want you to teach your children to the fifth generation. Teach your children, your grandchildren, your great-great, your great-great-great, your great-great-great-great. If you live long enough, you keep teaching the Word of God. Who? The next generation. Why? Every child's born empty-headed. I mean, you ever stand up? I mean, uh, I got a, I got, uh, my grandmother never went to school, ever. Uh, had her first baby at age 15. Never did learn to read. Her husband got killed in the mines. Uh, my dad was 11. Uh, he was the youngest of the 12. Uh, she got a $5,000 check from the Tennessee Copper Company, and um, she has 30 days to get out of the house. When he got killed, beautiful home. They mine provided nice homes, but you can only stay there if your husband works in the mine. If he dies, you got to get out. So we got a $5,000 life insurance check. So they went and bought a piece of property about, I don't know, a quarter of a mile away there in town in Ducktown, Tennessee, and the boys went to work. took them eight months. And they built a five-bedroom, two-story house. No plumbing. There's an outhouse out back. Uh, and then no electricity when they got it finished. They did coal lamps. But those six boys built their mother a house. She sewed. She was a real good seamstress. The old singer pushed pedal sewing machine. It wasn't an antique. It was the real deal back then. And so she was a great seamstress. So she made clothes and dresses for the people in town. And that's how she paid for the whole family. Because there's no house payment. The house is paid for once they got it built. You know, there, wasn't any, there wasn't no water bill. There is no water. They finally dug a well up on top of the hill, and that's where the water came from. And so she put all six girls through college, got them scholarships, and helped them make their dresses and whatever. All six boys went in the military. But she couldn't read. So we'd go up on the long weekend to help out. My dad would once a month. And after going to church, we'd come back every Sunday. She'd get up and make breakfast. Everybody would come back. She'd get the funny pages. She'd ask me to read the, the, the comics to her. After after uh, supper on Sunday, the son read said read she didn't call him Dick Tracy he was Mr Macy read Mr Macy to me and I'd read Dick Tracy to her and I'd read old Snuffy Smith old comics back then she'd laugh and giggle because she couldn't read a lick she couldn't read anything so I'd read to her and then we'd watch Gunsmoke after church on Sunday night and I don't know if you remember but long before when Mr Dillon was brand new. Then of Gunsmoke Marshall Dillon would come out with Kitty and Chester and they'd come out on the TV screen and they'd wave at you. Well, we got a big old black and white TV. My grandmother always said, son, wave at Mr. Dillon. He's waving. And I remember every Sunday night, I'd wave back at Mr. Dillon. <laughs> My grandmother was not an educated woman, but she was a godly woman. God spot over her knee. Left a really nice house and still sits there today. The family had a big fight over who can get it. What are you going to do? i got $5,000. What are you going to do? I need a house. We're going to build a house. Who's going to build it? My boy, you're going to hire a contractor. We can't afford no contractor. We're going to build it. You get some prints, and they're going to build it. You know, and they did, and it's still standing. It stands real good. And that's got asbestos siding on it. You can't tear it down, you know, but it's, it, it holds heat real good. Too many Christians go through life talking about, well, no matter life, it didn't work out. I didn't get a job, and I didn't make an A, and I didn't get a scholarship. My girlfriend broke up, and all they do is sing sad songs. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak say I'm strong and the poor say I'm rich. Call those things that be not as though they are. We've got to start teaching our kids, the world belongs to you. Jesus bought it. Your job is to go serve your fellow man. You want to be somebody? Find somebody to help out.
I'm telling you, and we were broke. What are you doing? We're helping people more broke than us. And I, I lived in a little square block house as a kid. My dad did never own. My dad never owned a new car. He never owned a house until after I got married. He finally owned his first house. We lived in a rent house our whole life. My senior in high school, I lived in a 900 square foot rent house. <laughs> we got air conditioning. We got air conditioning my junior year. We never had air conditioning my junior year. We got a color TV my senior year. We were poor, poor, poor. But we never thought we were poor, never got depressed over it. We went to Florida every year on vacation. You know why? Because my dad would take my sister and my mom, we'd go pick strawberries for two weeks. We'd go pick these big old strawberries in Dayton, Tennessee. Then we'd go down to the rich Jewish section of Chattanooga. Here we go, and we'd knock on doors selling strawberries. Boy, we'd sell everyone. Jewish people love strawberries. And uh, yeah, we'd sell them strawberries, and they were so gracious and paid us really good. And then every Christmas, we go rewire stuff because my dad was an electrician. So we go rewire stuff for people, rewire boat docks and barns and stuff. Man, we had great Christmases. I got BB guns and Lionel trains. It's like we never lack for nothing because why? If we don't have it, we'll figure out how to go get it. We're not going to gripe that we don't have it. We're going to figure out a way to go get it, which goes back to what I opened up with last night. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the problem solvers. They should be called the children of God. So as long as you're focused on your problem and not solving your problem, you're never going to come out of it. How can we make this better? Because most people come in, especially on marriages, we never should have got married. We never should have got married. Now, I'm, talk, I'm talking about spirit-filled church. That, well, why is it? Well, we just, we've fallen out of love. We have just fallen out of love. I said, really, you fell out? Well, that's sad. I'm sorry to hear that. I said, well, when did you fall in? This is a real couple. <laughs> They're still married, but they were going to get a divorce. I said, when did you fall in? What? Well, you can't fall out unless you fell in. You weren't born next to each other. I assume you didn't know each other when you met. How, how did you fall in love? I don't remember. Well, it had to be something. I mean, how did it happen? Well, you know, we started doing things, talking things, really. So that's how you fell in. So, and, and how did you fall out? What? How did you, you say you fell out of love? How did you fall out? Well, I don't know. We just did. I said, no, you didn't. I said, you can't fall out of love. I said, you can fall out of bed. You can fall out of the car. You can fall off the couch. But you don't fall out of love. Love's a choice. And what happens when things aren't going smooth, well, it must not be the will of God. It is the will of God. Just because there's opposition. Charismatics, we're the world's worst. The one weakness we have is because we believe in the Holy Ghost. If things aren't smooth, we think it's not God. Well, if it was God, it wouldn't work. I said, you ever read the scriptures on diligence? The, the diligent, the hand of the diligent bears rule. Thoughts of the diligent, think about plenty of soul of the diligence made fat. If it doesn't fall, get up and hit it again. Get up and do it again. Try again. Go apply another place. Go apply for another job. Man, be, try to be nice to your spouse again. Do something. You know, teach your kids again. Get them up. It's talking about being diligent. That's what we've got to learn if we've got the Word of God. I'll give you these four more scriptures. I like this right here. Psalm 127, children are a gift from the Lord. Verse 3, children are a gift from the Lord. First time I read that, I thought, well, that's a lie. I got six of them. They ain't a gifted thing about them, I guarantee. But I said, some monk wrote that. He ain't even having kids. He just made that up. The Bible says, how joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. I said, well, my quiver is full, and I don't see any joy in here. What, what's going on? And I realized they're a result of what I've taught, because the Bible says there's four list of rewards in Proverbs. Children bring you sorrow, grief, and shame. I said, I know about that. The same Bible says children bring in joy, peace, and prosperity. I said, I'm on the wrong list. I've got to get on the other list. How did I get on the wrong list? And I realized Luke 6, 40, a child wouldn't fully taught just like they're teaching. My kids were like me. What I'd get mad at is I'm getting mad at me because they're being me. And I'll tell you something. You ever watch when you start yelling at your kids? I'll promise you're yelling at what you're weak at. Because I'll attack you what I'm weak at. Romans 2, 1. Be careful when you judge somebody else. For when you judge somebody else, you condemn yourself for it takes one to know one. I will get on to you what I'm not good at to protect myself. And you don't even think about it. It's just part of your sin nature. I like this. Isaiah 54, 13. All of your children should be taught of the Lord. 
Great will be their peace and undisturbed composure. Then Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way she go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. Now, we're going to pick up with Ephesians 6. Tomorrow night, Ephesians 6 is real good. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it will be well with you. Um, I shared, I think, last year, but if not, uh, I became very famous in Tulsa for one reason. Um, Grace Christian School that I was made the principal of, I was made the principal because the first three guys got fired. I was a children's pastor. I've quit my job as an engineer. I've gone to Raymond Bible Training Center. I've come out. I've got a job at church staff. Who are you? Well, they call me the edu- education director. That's a f- I'm the children's pastor. Well, I've been doing that for four years, and they fired the school principal because it was not going good. We had kids getting drunk and pregnant and dropping their britches in the hallway. Uh, our academics were non-existent. And so my pastor, whose kids were in the school, came down and said, Joe, I need you to take over the school. I said, no, I don't, I don't like school. I didn't like it when I went. I only went to get a I just went to get a degree so I can get a job and get a raise. I didn't, I didn't like it. I, I just went because I needed it. He said, no, I need you to take over the school. I said, why? I don't know anything about education. No, but people like you, and they don't like our school. I'm not making this up. And I just about rebelled. I said, oh, my gosh, I've got to be a school principal. Oh, my gosh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and I've got to be a school principal. Nobody likes school principals. I mean, it's like the devil incarnate, man. Nobody, wants, nobody likes a school principal. So I ended up having to take the job. I thought, well, if I've got to do it, let's, uh, let's do it right. So I told them, if we're going to do this, then we need to get a real school. We don't have one. We've got a Christian school that's not even a real school. So we need to get the school accredited. At the time, Oral Roberts University had a program to accredit schools. Three-year process, cost about $5,000. I said, if I'm going to do this, we need to make this a real school, not some sissified school. So we went through the process, and there's a great testament on all that. But that wasn't what helped us. Now, I'm learning about that. I realize if I don't get inside my kid's head, I don't care what I do on the outside. I won't change my school. My school is my students, not my building, not my curriculum, not my science lab. My school are my students, and they don't think right. They're only here because parents, they couldn't make it in public school, and parents wrote a check, stick them here. I mean, i got a mess to begin with. If I don't get inside their head, we're going to have a problem. But, well, we're just going to start something. So I remember I, instead of starting school Monday after the first two years, we're going to start on Wednesday. I brought the kids in on Wednesday. I would not let them go to class the first three days of school, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You're going to come to the auditorium? And said, I'm going to talk to you. So they came in. I had my academic principal. That's all we had in that room, 7th through 12th grade. And I said, guys, good morning. I'm Mr. McGee. Next to God, I'm the biggest blessing in your family. You have a lot of enemies in your life. I am not one of them. But if you get in trouble, I'm the guy that's either going to bust you or expel you. So please don't come to my office unless I invite you because it won't be good. And so then we went and I fed them breakfast because most kids don't eat. They don't eat based on their metabolism because kids will come to school till the end of the day. Have a Dr. Pepper and a Twinkie. And that means around 10 a.m., I'm either going to peel you off the ceiling or I'm going to peel you off the floor based on your metabolism. So it's going to be a pain. That's why most kids get in trouble third hour, That's even in public schools. Where's most third hour? Why? Their metabolism. <laughs> you know, they're just crazy. So we're going to feed you a great breakfast, bring you back. All I did was tell stories. I told Bible stories, science stories, history stories. I want you to get to know me because if you get in trouble, I'm the guy you've got to see. And then I ate lunch with them, more stories. And at the end of Wednesday, on the first day of school, I gave them an unemployment test. Now, you can't get them anymore, but used to I can get them for free. I said, okay, before we go home today, we've got an hour of school left. We're all left. We're going to take the unemployment test. So I handed out the unemployment test to every ninth through 12th grader. I remember this ninth grader raised his hand. Why are we taking the unemployment test? I said, well, because if you don't do well in school, you're eventually going to have to take this test. I've taken this test twice. It's a great test. It finally told me what I was good at. I didn't know what I was good at until the day I had to take the unemployment test. 
The second day is a psychological testing corporation test out of Fort Worth. It writes um, academic skills test. Are you good in math, science, English, or history? Where's your strength? You're going to make money with your strength, not your weakness. What are you really good at? If you've not been good at it, this test will tell you what you could be good at. Then on Friday, I gave him a test from Discover Your God-Given Gifts by Don and Katie Fortune, Chosen Books. It's still in every Barnes & Noble today. It's a national bestseller. Great couple. They're retired to Jacksonville, Florida. They were educators in California. Spirit Phil, great people. Big, thick book based on Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 9. Are you a motivator, an exhorter, a perceiver? Because there are jobs that line up with those seven motivational gifts. So at the end of three days, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the thing is established. At the end of the first three days of school, these kids have done nothing but eat free food, hear stories that are funny and entertaining, and taken three tests. So when school starts on money for real, they know there's something they're good at. I might not have ever been good at it, but there's something I could be good at. And by the end of the fifth year, we became the number one academic school, or Roberts University, and we held that for five years. Uh, and that, we, we got schools all over the United States. We went from the worst school to the top school in three years. Why? Change how they think about themselves. As a parent, if you don't get inside your kid's head, you can yell to Jesus, come. Moon ground you. You better sharpen up. You better quit being stupid. That will not change them. The Word of God's going to change them. You know, God said, you're going to be the head and not the tail. You're going to bring great honor to the family name. What? You're going to bring me great honor. Bless your little doofus heart. You're going to bring us great honor. <laughs> You're going to, wealth and riches is going to be in your house. You're going to write checks to mom and I. You're going to send us on cruises, buy some Winnebago's. It's going to be incredible. Now, you can laugh. I've told my kids their whole life, you owe us. <laughs> Bob says, parents lay up for the children, children lay up for the parents. You owe us good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. Now, every time we go somewhere, I just got an invitation to a big church up in Michigan today, um, just packed with single parents, uh, just impoverished parents. Like, it's a tough deal. And so they think I can do something. I believe I can, too. You give me two days, I'll give enough word to you. If nothing else, I'm going to give you some hope. You're going to have to dig for the knowledge yourself, but I'll give you hope. Hope and deferred makes the heart sick. What the devil's done through the world system is steal our hope. Six twenty-four news channels, 24 hours a day, six channels. Man, it's bad, getting worse, government's going to collapse, president's stupid, Congress is dumb, man, the economy's bad, they're going to blow us up, nuclear bomb, boom, 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 poor, 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 oh, oh, oh. And then people getting killed and butchered and maimed and raped. It's like, dear God, you feed on that enough, and well, just shoot me, Jesus. <laughs> and you don't want to go be a blessing. No, what is it? We are alive in the greatest time of human history, and God's Spirit's poured out without measure. We're going to be a blessing to everybody we meet. We're going to help orphans and widows feed hungry people and give water to thirsty people. We're going to visit people in prison. What are you going to do? I'm going to be a blessing. I'm the light and I'm the salt of this planet. The things I have received, I'm going to freely give. But first of all, you've got to receive them. You can't do that if you're not born again, spirit-filled, sitting in a local church. That's where those things are going to happen. I'm telling you guys, it doesn't take many of us. I'm telling you, it doesn't take many. Of those 12, of those 12, just think of 12, actually 11. They kind of had to replace the 12th one. It said in Acts, said, who are these people? I said, those that have turned the world upside down have come here also. Who was it? Where's the 12? What is it? They, they turned the world upside down. You know, incredible miracles, taught the truth, planted churches all over. We're still here, guys. Some of them got crucified upside down. Some of them got beheaded. Some got put on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, we're, we're still here. Well, they're just going to stamp us out. They're going to stamp out what? They're just going to stamp out Christianity. No, they're not. We're taking over. It's us. <laughs> we're what's happening. 
you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the devil said, look at us. This is, there's more revival going on today than in human history. I said it last year. More people being saved, more teenagers on the mission field. It just doesn't make the news. Good news doesn't sell. But we're doing great, guys. Before you go to bed tonight, if you don't know anything else to pray, Father, I thank you for teaching me and my family to fear you. If you don't know anything else to do, Father, teach us to fear you. That is the beginning of wisdom. And I'll promise you, the doors will start opening up. You'll think, my God, that sure was lucky. No, there's no such thing as luck. That's God watching over his word to perform it. He'll teach you to fear him. That's the beginning of wisdom. That brings long life, riches, and honor. So let's stand up. We're going to kind of close out with the same prayer tonight. I've got, uh, I've got something back here. Uh, my daughter that's got my publishing company now. Bless her heart. My kids really pushed on me. Um, <laughs> Jessica, I never would hire any of my kids. I didn't want my kids working in the ministry, so I never would hire my kids. So you can go off, get a degree, get successful. I'm not hiring any of you because I saw so many horror stories in ministry. Well, I got three of them working for me tonight. And uh, one runs our offices in Franklin, Tennessee. One runs the office in, uh, in Tulsa. And uh, John, he's doing all of our internal stuff at the office on computers and kind of does everything else while he's finished up his degree. But I remember Jessica came to me about two years ago, and she said, Dad, so you're getting old. That's good when your kids tell you that. You spend your life making money, paying bills, trying to fix their crooked teeth, and get them through algebra, and all of a sudden they tell you, you're getting old. Like, well, God bless you. I knew I raised you for a reason. Thank you, Jesus. I said, no, Daddy, you're getting outdated because we measure everything. So for, you know, 18 years, our ministry grew. I mean, it just grew. Boom, 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 boom. We can't get everywhere we need to go. About two years ago, it leveled out. And I watch the numbers. I'm an engineer. I'm looking at graphs. Like, man, we've leveled out. We're running hard. What's going on? And so Jessica, my second, I said, Dad, you've gotten old. You're getting outdated. You're going to have to change. And so basically what she did was she went on her own and uh, contacted five different companies, graphics people, legal people, um, just all kinds of related to our ministry. And then she set uh, appointments for me to go in and do interviews. And so then we hired this company out of Wisconsin to study us, what we're doing, what we're doing good, what we're not doing good. And so about a year ago, we revamped everything. We changed everything from our office, how we do stuff, opened up the office in Franklin. We changed everything. Said, Dad, you, if you don't change, you're getting outdated. And so the company from Wisconsin came and says, Mr. you know what your bestseller is on your website? I said, no, we sell a lot of stuff on our website. What's your bestseller? Well, it's probably Marriage Building 101. You know, that's our number one seminar. No, that's not it. Really? Well, it's probably the parenting. That's our other biggest seminar. Mm-mm, no, that's not it. This other one outsells the two-to-one. I said, well, it's probably our man, lover, leader, provider, mentors, or revival among men. Nope, that's not it. Well, it's probably on teens, teens report. No. And, I, and I'm writing this guy a really big check. You know, he's a, and he's a heathen. He's not even a Christian. And so he's done a three-month study on this. He said, no, your number one seller is called Before Saying I Do. I said, what? Yeah, your seminar called Before Saying I Do. It's your number one seller two to one over everything else. I said, that's not a seminar. I recorded that in my office. I got tired of people asking me to do premarital counseling, I just sit down and record six days in my office. I just hand it to him so I don't have to see him six weeks in a row. I just see him the last week. He said, that's your number one seller. He said, and what he told me was, you understand, he said, uh, core families are not the majority in America anymore. 52% of all families in America are blended families. There are more blended families in the United States tonight than there are core families. He said, Michigan, you're a real blessing, evidently. You're very successful at what you do. But who you think you're talking to and who's listening to you are two different groups of people. You think they're listening to you. They're not. They're listening to you, and you don't know that. We're going to help you identify who you're ministering to and where you're effective. I thought, well, help me, Jesus. And it was so good to have somebody point out, because if you don't have friends in your life, you think you're all right. <laughs> friends tell you the truth. Desire strikes iron, so the countenance of a friend like, whoa. 
So my kids begin to, Dad, here's what people need, here's what parents need. So this is Corey. I, I, my books will be here tomorrow night. They're at FedEx somewhere here in town, so we finally found them, so they'll be here tomorrow night. And so Corey did this because this is what I did with them when I do the three-by-five cards. So, Dad, and here's how you helped us. Why don't you help other people? I'll go and get their own cards, three-by-five cards. You can get them in any drugstore, get them at Walmart. They won't do it, Dad. You've got to help them do it. So, so we put together, this thing is just taking off like a rocket ship called Telling Your, telling your Child the Truth. It's just real simple. And it's, it's, it's the three-by-five cards I had with my kids. And so I was just sitting here looking before we started, and we got instructions on it. Like this person says, you are a gift from God. Hmm, what in the world? What? You are a reward from him. Then I got the scripture on the back. I tell me, you're a gift. No, 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 yes, you are. God saw you coming. <laughs> Praise God. You're led by the Spirit of God. You're led by the Lord. God's directing your step. I don't know what I'm doing. No, God's directing you. He, you're his sheep. He's your shepherd. we got the Scripture in the back. God's talking. You listening? I don't know. Well, evidently not, because he's talking. You don't know where you're going. You're not listening. <laughs> it says this. You're surrounded with a shield of divine favor. People like you, and they don't even know why. And Psalm 512 is on the back. I like this right here. God is pleased that you obey him. Hmm, have mercy. We will not aggravate or discourage you as parents. We're going to see that you are just, just a happy camper. You got that scripture on the back. Then I like this one. The love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Faith works by love. You're full of love. God will put it in you. If you say you don't love anybody, you're lying. You can't, you can't be saved without the love of God. And so what we try to do is tell them the truth. So we do one a day. Quote this over you. Take to school. Stick it on the dashboard of your car. You know, put it in the back of your book before you do your homework. Read something of yourself. Say what God says. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm highly favored. i got a shield of divine favor. People, teachers like me. My teacher likes me. Because if you're not saying what God says, no amount likes me and they won't give me a break. And teacher, he doesn't like me at all. Like, you're either saying what God says or what the devil's telling you to say. So you ought to get you a stack of these. I don't know what they are. We've got a big discount. They're like $10 now. Get a stack of them. And I tell people, you don't have to buy two stacks. Get one and rewrite them yourself. Put them on your old three pop cards. But if you don't start speaking the word of God, God can't do anything. God watches over his word to perform it. It's not how holy I am. It's his word. I'm telling you, we got it made. So say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, your word is truth. It sets me free. It keeps me free. I ask you, bring to my remembrance what I have learned tonight. May it bear 100-fold in my life. And I ask you again, teach me and my family to fear you. For the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And with that wisdom comes long life, riches, and honor. I personally, I believe that, don't you? Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Pastor, praise God.